Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms of Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms of preteens, teens, and young adults. My mission is to first and foremost support and encourage you, mom, so that you can live well and reclaim your life. Two, the show will help you have the best possible relationships with your teens so that you can communicate, motivate, and guide them effectively and actually enjoy them. And third, I will bring you top-notch guests who will share the newest in adolescent research and trends so you can be prepared and aware of what your teens are facing today. Always you will leave each episode armed with practical parenting tips. Welcome back everyone to the 228th episode of Power Your Parenting Moms of Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. I'm excited to have Hunter Clarkfields, aka The Mindful Mama, back with us today to tell us about her new book, Raising Good Humans Every Day. She has some very practical tips to help us busy and often stressed moms come back to calm. Make sure you stay to the end. She has a wonderful meditation for you that you will want to listen to over and over again. Hunter Clark Fields is a mindfulness mentor, mindful mama podcast host, mom global speaker, and number one best-selling author of Raising Good Humans with a new book, Raising Good Humans Every Day. Hunter has over 20 years of experience in meditation and yoga practices and helps moms bring more calm and family cooperation into their daily lives. She is a mindfulness meditation teacher, the creator of the Mindful Parenting Course, and teacher training, and has taught mindfulness to thousands worldwide, including a recent trip to Egypt. Hunter presents talks on parenting, a certified teacher of parent effectiveness training. In addition, Hunter coaches smart, accomplished, overstressed individuals on how to cultivate mindfulness. Hunter is the mother of two active daughters who challenges her every day to hone her craft. Her work has appeared in CNBC, Make It, Parade, Paleontology, Motherhood Moment, The Hollywood Digest, along with on ABC Portland, NBC Milwaukee, and CBS South Bend, Kansas Public Radio, and many podcasts. And as part of her self-care, Hunter likes to do Scottish country dancing. Welcome, Hunter. Thanks, Colleen. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad you came back. You were on my podcast when you're first book came out. Yeah. 
exciting times. Yes, yes. So the first question I ask all my guests is if you are a mom, and if so, what are their ages? I have two daughters age 16 and 13 now. So one is driving, which is like, oh my God. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, because my audience is all moms of tweens and teens. So you're right there. I'm right there with you. I have the teens. They're both teens now. Yeah. I like this age though. You know what? I really like having teenagers. I think it's kind of great. Like there's a lot of fun, I think, to be had with them as teenagers. And they have their teen stuff, but I feel like everything I've worked with, with Raising Good Humans Every Day and the Mindful Parenting course, like it was all like, oh my God, if I keep going like this, my kids are going to hate me when they're teenagers. (laughs) And so like everything was like to avoid that and like to avoid the horror that was me and my brother, like when we were teenagers. And it's not, it's a nice time. So I feel like I've seen it, you know, not only just with my own family, with other families too, but like, oh, these things really help to make it so that there's not all that built up resentment by the time they're teenagers and you can Mm -hmm. actually enjoy it. Yeah. It's why I wrote the book, Dial Down the Drama, because you want to dial down the drama so that you can have the good stuff because there's lots of good stuff. Yes. Amen. So you have another book coming out. So you want to tell our listeners about that? Yeah. Well, I'm excited about Raising Good Humans Every Day. And so this is a book that builds upon Raising Good Humans, obviously, but it allows me to like go into a lot of different areas I wasn't able to go into with Raising Good Humans because it's 50 short chapters. I love a book that I can dive into. Like I can pick up on any day and just dive into any piece of it. And that's exactly what this book is. It's like you can just read a chapter in like three pages and you can feel the sense of accomplishment. And it goes into a lot of our lifestyle and all these different things that support raising a more, you know, having a peaceful family, raising confident kids who are kind and helping us to be a lot less stressed out as parents. So yeah, it's sort of a small book you can put in your purse, which I like. No, I love the size of it. It just feels really good. So yeah, it's a perfect, just stick it in your purse, go to the beach, go to the pool book. Yeah, that's my idea. So what led you to write two parenting books about mindful parenting? Well, the truth is, is because I was terrible. (laughs) I was really bad at it. I struggled enormously. And, you know, when my daughter, who's 16 now, was two, for me, the worst thing was my temper was coming out and I was yelling at her. And I could see I was scaring her. And I just felt like I am a terrible parent. What is going on? Like this thing is the most important thing to me. The most important thing in my life are these humans. And I'm really effing it up big time is kind of how I saw. I could see that I was kind of recreating this cycle that I have with my dad where he would rage at me. And then there was so much resentment, you know, when I was a teenager and well into my 20s, like it really harmed our relationship. And I really, really didn't want that. And so I just felt like, you know, before you have kids, you're like, oh, I just, I'll be this way and I'll be this way. And I'll be, you think you could just choose how you're going to be. And then I had kids and I realized like, oh, there's all these ways I want to be. And I can't, it's not like just something I can choose because I was learning these great things to say and I couldn't remember any of them when I was losing it. 
And so I really saw that, you know, I had been studying mindfulness for since I was a teenager, but really practicing since I was a, you know, just a few years before I had kids. And I realized that it had a lot to add to the parenting conversation that wasn't being spoken about. You know, the whole piece about understanding our brains, understanding our nervous system, understanding how calming our reactivity is so foundational. Just seeing that it wasn't even being talked about in the parenting world. And I was so frustrated with that because it's not like anybody raises their hands and says, excuse me, I would like to scream at my kids today when they come home from school. Like no one chooses that. No one wants to be that parent. Yet it happens to us. So it's not like, you know, I remember getting just so frustrated with step one, just, you know, take a pause and then blah, blah, blah. And how do you take a pause if you're losing it? So I wanted to bring together all these tools I had learned from the mindfulness world and how it was helping me to slow that reactivity, how it was helping me to calm down and really bring that into the parenting conversation. And then I really wanted to bring in those tools on like how to parent, how to communicate better. Like I really went into sort of a deep dive of learning all of that because I was bad at it. And so I figured out like, these are the essentials. We need to calm our reactivity. And then it's all about our communication. It's about our presence, our ability to be present with our kids, to really listen, to really be there, to really communicate from the heart. And then, yeah, how to communicate that, how to say the things we want to say in an authentic way so that our kids will listen to us, not just regurgitate some script, but say it from a sense of heart so that we are creating a soul-to-soul connection rather than just roll-to-roll. Yeah, what I love about your books is they're very, very practical and you really do give mom some great tools. So what are three examples of little things that you recommend parents do every day to help their teens grow up to be kind, confident, and conscientious human beings? Well, three things they could do every day. I mean, I would say the one essential one is to take some a little bit of time for yourself every day to practice some mindfulness. Like every day I walk down the street, slowly just aware of my breathing, or every day I sit down for a 60 seconds in my lazy boy. I'm not doing anything and I practice just breathing and slowly breathing and calming myself down so I can access this calming factor. Second thing that parents can do every day to really connect with their teens is to practice listening and listening to their teens and listening with the attitudes of kindness and curiosity. So sometimes we ask our kids a question or we want to talk to them. And then we've got a million thoughts coming. In, we got our responses coming into our head. I got to tell them this and this and all these things. And the practice of mindful listening is to notice, oh, I'm having all this thinking. Let me stop. Let me interrupt that and redirect my attention back to my child with an attitude of kindness and curiosity, curiosity being open-mindedness, like not with an agenda, right? So Mm -hmm. who are you today? Can I be open to who you are and what you're saying without inserting my agenda right away? So I'd say, A, have your own, like, it can be super small mindfulness practice. B, practice listening to your teen. And then the third thing I would encourage that's really super simple is to just practice gratitude with your teen. Like, you know, hey, 
you know, one of the things we do in my family at dinner time is we say, you know, we ask each other, what's your rose, thorn and bud? So like, what is your rose? What are you grateful for today? You know, so to just encourage yourself and your team to reflect and take in that big picture, you know, to get a little perspective and to really practice also focusing our negative prone minds on what we can appreciate and also give them a chance to talk and open up about things that were challenging as well. So those are three things. I think they can all be really simple. Number one, practicing a little mindfulness. It doesn't have to be hard. It can be super, super simple. I have like a three minute meditation and a one minute meditation on my website. So easy. Just sit and listen. It's not hard. Lots of people do it. It's okay. And then number two, listen to your team. Practice listening mindfully with open-mindedness. And three, practice some gratitude. I think what's so important about mindfulness, and maybe you can explain a little bit more about this, it really brings you back to your own body and anchors you into you. And a lot of times when we get triggered, not only are we in the stress response, but we're like pulled out of ourselves. So can you talk a little more about that? Absolutely. And when we're in that stress response, sometimes we get this ranting brain, right? Like we're in the future, 15 years in the future, my child is going to be a sociopath, right? Like, right. isn't that kind of where we always go? Right. My child's going to be a sociopath. And the thing that a mindfulness practice gives us, which is so, so helpful, is it helps us to see these thoughts as just what they are. Thoughts are, they're not real. They're images or words in our head that we believe, like we think they're real. They feel really urgent. Like we have to follow those thoughts right away. But a mindfulness practice helps us to interrupt those thoughts and then kind of look at it and say, oh, it's a thought. Thoughts are like a waterfall. We're under the waterfall. Normally, we're just like in the waterfall. We're covered in water, the thoughts, we believe them, everything. And then mindfulness helps us step out in front of it and say, oh, look, at that's a waterfall. And this practice of interrupting is sounds so simple. And you're like, okay, well, whatever, interrupting. But it really is <laughs> super profound. Because, you know, our thoughts tend to spiral us down. And as soon as we interrupt it, and we become into the present moment, and you're right, like, we can come into our body, like, you can touch your thumb with your other finger and sort of feel your hands, you can feel your feet on the floor, you can feel your breath coming in and out. And as soon as you're feeling a body sensation, you are in the present moment, you can't feel your body in the future, or in the past, right? You can't feel your breath in the future or the past. Your thoughts will take you all over the place. Imaginary, horrible futures in general. Those are the kind of most common. The past into all kinds of things. But when we come back to what's actually real here and now, it can help us to a, interrupt that negative thinking and then say, okay, what else is really real right now? How can I? And those attitude, you know, that essential attitude of mindfulness of kindness and curiosity. Okay. What's really happening right now? Can I be open right now? My child is upset. What can I really know about this? And in fact, there's a Zen saying that I really like that helps me sometimes when I'm kind of spiraling out and thinking and I'll notice it. And it's this little saying or gatha is what they call it. And it, it's as you breathe in, you think to yourself, clear mind, clear mind, clear mind. And as you breathe out, you think to yourself, don't know. <laughs> and... This is so helpful because 
there's so much we don't know. Like we think we have to like know and figure it all out, right? Or we're making all these assumptions. And the truth is, it's all castles in the sky. That's all thoughts that are not necessarily real. Like what is actually real? And when we can ground ourselves in what is real here and now, then answers can open up or unfold in time. And, and that sense of panic goes away and we can think clearly about whatever is in front of us and see, you know, what's truly important. And the good news is the here and now is much, 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 much more calmer, better, enjoyable than the dramas we make up in the future. Oh, yes. (laughs) The real world now is so much better. Exactly. Even if the world now is challenging. So for instance, as we're recording this in this time, we're on the East Coast having these wildfire, this smoke from the wildfires in Canada. And this morning I was doing my meditation. You know, we wake up and my husband's telling me that the arrow side is the worst it's been. And it's this challenging thing really happening in the here and now. But then as I sat in my meditation, breathe, and I really focus on what's really here right now. My body is here. This room is here. I'm here. There's for me right now in this moment, there are actually no problems. You know what I mean? There is this larger problem that I will have to deal with when I leave the house and talk to people and all kinds of things that I will have to deal with. But actually, if I really am granular about right in this moment, right in that moment when I was sitting my meditation in my room, there was no problem. Mm-hmm. You know, and that idea of like, then when we're in a moment, we have more clear headedness to deal with it if we're not always in this rumination and always in the thought or if we have the ability, it's not like a mindfulness practice stops our thinking, just a big old myth that I'm sure You probably already know, dear listener, but it's ability to notice like when we're spiraling. So you talk about looking at your kids with kindness and, you know, you mentioned compassion also. So what are some ways that you can show compassion to your child? Let's say more the teens and tweens. Okay. Yeah. So just this morning, I was on a mindful parenting member call and someone had a tween She was worried about this tween because the tween wanted to wear crop tops. And well, my child is really focused on fitting in, was fearful of that child being hurt. And probably, you know, fearful of the child being emotionally hurt because the child has special needs. So to kind of go back to our last question, like the idea of our thoughts, right? To come back to the present moment, her fear was putting her a million miles in the future of what's going to happen five years from now if I let my child wear a crop top today. But the idea of compassion, right? How can we show this to our kids? Sometimes our fears prevent us from seeing the feelings of our kids, right? Are we jump ahead to five conclusions down the line and we can't see that my child, what's going on with my child? Can I be curious, right? And when I'm curious, then that compassion comes in like, oh, it's hard. It's hard for her. She really wants to fit in. This hurts her heart. This is normal. This is natural for humans to want this. And then as this, you know, this curiosity and compassion, they really go hand in hand. As we start to become curious and say, oh, what are they needing? What are they wanting? Then we can start to say, how can I be there for them? How can I support my child through this time? It's so hard to be a human being and all the time. 
like every stage and age, like, I don't know when the super easy, like we got it all under control time comes, but it doesn't seem to be like, but again, we have it in bits and pieces, right? But also being a teen and a tween is so hard. Of course, you want to fit in so bad. You're so awkward. Your body is often awkward. Like, man, we all look back on our pictures. We're like, God, I look terrible. I'm such a creator, whatever it is, you know, but it's so important to us and everybody else is figuring it out. And just the internal turmoil alone should be enough. But then you get to, you know, you go in a classroom with 28 other kids who are all going through that internal turmoil and it's super, super hard. So when we can start to have compassion for our kids, we can get on our team's side, right? We can support them in ways that they need to be supported. And that helps them to then ultimately care for us, right? If we can care for them, they can care for us. Like we can give what we also want to receive. We want to make sure we're not like uh, making for the listener, making two fists bumping against each other. You know, we want to be on our kid's side so that when we have to hold a boundary or something like that, the metaphor I like is you put deposits into that relationship bank account, put so many deposits in so that you have a cushion when you need to make withdrawal and having compassion, practicing compassion for your teen will help put those deposits in. But I also want to say about compassion, showing it to your teen is that you can't just say, okay, let's just have compassion for our teens. You have to show it to yourself too. You can't be harsh and mean to yourself internally and then think you're going to be so compassionate to your teen. Good luck with that. It doesn't work mm -hmm. so well. Right. Because when we're squeezed, what is inside comes out. So we've got to also practice it for ourselves too, because it's hard. Mm -hmm. There's so many fears we have for them. And there's so much going on in our own lives. There's so much uncertainty for them. Mm -hmm. There's so many things to deal with. The problems are bigger. You know, they may not be just as immediate, but they're bigger. So we have to practice that for ourselves too. And again, like you said, Colleen, I'm very practical. Put a hand to your heart like, oh, this is hard. It's not easy right now for you, mama, right? Mm -hmm. Saying that to yourself, saying it to somebody you love. Mm -hmm. And then it'll be easier to give it to your team. I love how you say how curiosity leads to compassion, because that's so true, because if we're not curious, that means that we've made a judgment, that we think we know their motive, you know, that they're lazy. Anyway, we attribute really negative motives to our teens. So the same, too, with mom, you know, if you can not judge yourself and be curious about why did that really bother you? Why did you get really angry? What's coming up for you? And then often that will lead to compassion of, yeah. you know, that almost universal pain that moms have is to not be seen and not be understood. So if we can do that for ourselves and say, like you said, it's hard, mom. This has been hard. But if you can give that to yourself instead of judge yourself, then there's a parallel process if you can do that for yourself, then you can do that for your teens. Yeah, absolutely. Like I have a friend, my friend Carla, she talks about how icky and doesn't want anything like sort of woo woo and whatever. But honestly, it's super practical. It's super <laughs> practical. Because if you're going to mess up, you're going to make mistakes, you're going to be imperfect. It's not possible for you to do it perfectly it actually wouldn't be desirable for you to do it perfectly, right? right. You're going to mess up. And so when you make a mistake, 
if you are harsh and mean to yourself, what does that happen? What does that do to you? It leaves you like in a puddle on the floor. For me, like I'll be like in the bedroom crying. And that's useless. I end up being unable to deal with anything in life. But Mm -hmm. if you can practice, even though it may feel a little woo-woo and a little whatever, if you can practice to offer yourself some kindness, give yourself some grace, give yourself a soft landing, it's actually very practical because then you can just get back up and begin anew and start again, you know, and maybe make that apology or whatever it is. And just pick yourself up and keep going because that's what we need to do as parents. We need to begin anew again and again and again. And we got to be able to do that. So what do you think the most important parenting skill that you teach in your new book, Raising Good Humans Every Day? That's a great question. I mean, it depends on the reader, like what is the most important thing for you? But I would say practicing the parental pause is incredibly important. You know, we always say like, the advice is always step one pause, you know, well, how do you do that? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm totally rolling my eyes here, dear listener. So you can, you can just practice it. So you can practice it in a random moment. You can practice it like you get in the car, you just sit in the car, you put a hand on your heart, you take a deep breath, you breathe out and maybe another two, let's take three deep breaths. And then you've practiced pausing. Maybe you practice it in like a good moment. Like someone calls mom <laughs> from like yes. across the house. And rather than respond right away, just take a moment to take a couple breaths and then respond, choose how you want to respond, right? To just practice being present, being still, being curious. And when we practice in easy moments, like if you can practice it a little bit every day in the calm moments, then you'll have it in the tough moments. And that's really, really important because a lot of times, like 98% of the time, it's not an emergency, right? Like we can take three breaths before we respond. (laughs) So yeah, do that. And then actually it's great modeling for your kids as well. So can you explain to the moms why breath is so important and talk about practical, like what that does to their body? Oh, yeah. So one of the first tools that I introduce in the book are some breathing tools. And one, the very first one I introduce is called tactical breathing. It's in chapter one. And this is what the Navy SEALs do. So we, if they do it to calm down, we can do it, you know, because the Navy SEALs know that they're not making any good decisions when they're dysregulated. And that's the same for us because when our stress response dysregulates us, It's not giving us access to the slower parts of our brain. The slower parts of our brain include our prefrontal cortex behind our forehead, which is involved in verbal ability, problem solving, and impulse control. Now think about that verbal ability, problem solving, and impulse control, like everything we need, right? So we want to bring the slower parts of the brain on board to be able to make effective decisions with our kids. So tactical breathing is super, super simple. And it slows down the heart rate to help us become more regulated because when we're dysregulated, heart rate goes up, muscles tighten, all that stuff. So all you do is you breathe in for four and then you breathe out for four. You breathe in through your nose for four. You breathe out through your nose for four. You do it four times. So super simple, super easy. 
And there are other breaths that go a little deeper, but when we're dysregulated, the breath is kind of like a biohack to get yourself back to regulation. Yeah, I've heard that the breath is the quickest way that your body talks to your body to say, it's not scary out there. You can calm down. Exactly. Where if we can breathe deeply, there's not a saber-toothed tiger around the corner that we have to run from or protect our children from or whatever, right? Yes. The body is always prepping us for threat. It's so simple to use the breath to tell our bodies that there is no threat. And actually, a practice that I've been doing with the breath that I really like, that I've been doing kind of daily for the last three months or so that I'm really into is that I share in another chapter, I think it's chapter five, you know, when we're losing it, and that is four, seven, eight breath. Mm-hmm. And this is from Dr. Andrew Wheel from Harvard School of Medicine. And what I like about this breath is that every inhale you take is a mini fight, flight, or freeze stress response in the nervous system. Every exhale is a mini rest and relax response to so the opposite of the stress response. So I've been practicing it for a few minutes before my morning meditation, just to kind of really help my nervous system calm down. And not that I'm dysregulated first thing in the morning, but just to help me through the whole day. And you breathe in for four, you hold your breath for seven. You can skip this if it kind of makes you anxious, but it can be very helpful. And then you exhale at your mouth for a count of eight. So we could try it together if you want. You want to? Yeah, let's do that. Inhale for four. Hold for seven, two, three, four, five, six, seven, then exhale for eight, two, three, seven, eight. Let's do it two times. Inhale for four. Hold for seven. And exhale out your mouth for eight. You can do it one more time if you like, or a few more times. But you might even be able to just feel it from twice. Can you feel mm-hmm. the difference, Colleen? I do. I do feel the difference. Yeah, it's very powerful and very helpful. Yeah, I've also heard that when we're in stress response and we're taking those shallow breathing, that we're not exhaling long enough and that we're not getting rid of all the carbon dioxide. Mm. And so I think probably the count of eight is making sure that we get all that carbon dioxide out of us. Yeah, sounds plausible to me. Yes, yes. That was wonderful. So based on your experience, what do you think is one of the most unhelpful parenting habits? And how do you recommend breaking that habit? One of the most unhelpful parenting habits is overscheduling and getting ourselves super busy. And this, I think, comes from a fear in ourselves that we're not enough or we're not good enough or that we have to achieve and do more to be able to be worthy people and that these are kind of these deep-seated things that We're taught by our culture as far as work ethic and things like that. And our culture of busyness is a little frantic and bananas. And the thing is that it stresses us out and it stresses out our kids. So I think it can be really helpful to make a concerted effort to be a little less busy. And sometimes we think that we don't have any choice in this, but to kind of see it, like to see where we have the choice points and see that we have a choice, that we don't have to say yes to all the things that we are asked to do as moms in particular, that we can rope in our spouses to say, I would like you to cover all the doctor's appointments this year. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. You know, or whatever it is like, or I would like you to sign up to be the recipient of all the emails from the school, from the teacher. 
Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So we can share the load of all the administrative stuff that moms do. Mm -hmm. And then we can also really be conscious about taking day of rest. You know, I think of it as like a Sabbath day, right? A day of abstinence Mm -hmm. from work. And it could be a full day or an afternoon or whatever, where you just, you don't check email, you don't check social media, you don't do work, you don't schedule much. Maybe you sit around and play games with your kid and go for walks, or you read a book on the hammock by yourself and consciously give yourself time to recover from things. I mean, and if you have a team, you might be rolling your eyes at me and saying, you have no idea what my life is like. And that's true. I don't. But there are things you can do. You don't have to go to all of your kids' practices. You can ask your teenage kids to get rides to places. You know, you can say, you can do that if you can get a ride. Why don't you get a ride this week? You know, my kids are in scouts and, you know, get a ride to scouts. There's a mantra I like that I have to remind myself I've worked with for many years, which is there's more than enough time for everything important. Mm, that's there's good. More than enough time for everything important. Because sometimes, yeah, I miss some little things, but you know, it ended up not being that important anyway. Like we are enough, even if we don't check every single box every single day all the time. And it's okay for us to rest. And we have to think also about what are we modeling for our kids? Like, are we teaching our kids that they're not good enough unless they're going, 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 doing, doing, doing constantly? Is that what we want for them? So we have to live what we want our kids to learn. And one of the things that we're living too much of is, too much, right? Two packed schedules. Yeah. I love this. I would add, I hear a lot of moms complaining it's before your kids can drive is the shuttling thing that you're always shuttling can be stressful. Like, you know, I live in Houston, so there's a lot of traffic. And I think to add practical to your practical and what I like about you saying, thinking of it as a Sabbath, but you literally get it in your schedule. You get your schedule out, And you go, okay, from 10 to 2, I'm not going to do anything. Or I'm going to not answer my phone. But if you schedule it like if you were going to a doctor's appointment and know that it's just as important. Yeah, you're allowed to do that. You're allowed to not answer the phone. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So I'm wondering if you could lead us in a little meditation for the busy mom. Sure. Let's do it. Okay. If you can, if you're able to sit in a place that's comfortable where spine is upright, but you feel relaxed. And if it helps you soften or close your eyes and rest your hands on your legs in a comfortable way and just start with a big, deep breath in and exhale out a sigh. And again, take a deep breath in. Exhale out a big sigh. And then just allow your breathing to breathe you. You don't have anything to do with it. Just let yourself rest. And then you can feel your breath coming in and out your nose. Allow your forehead to become smooth. Allow the muscles around your eyes to soften. Let your cheeks and your jaw soften, your jaw goes a little slack. And then try to lift the two corners of your mouth a little bit and just notice how that relaxes all these muscles around your face. 
Imagine your shoulders softening down your back. Let your belly be soft. Let it expand with your inhales and soften with your exhales. Feel your body in your seat if you're seated. And your feet on the floor. And just feeling the earth support you. And just for right now, you have nothing to do, nothing to achieve. There's no particular way you have to feel. And just for right now, turn your attention inward and just with an attitude of kindness and curiosity, notice what you notice. You may feel a sensation tingling and pulsing in your hands. You may feel your heartbeat. You may feel your breath expanding you and relaxing you. You may notice things like tension or anxiety, tightness. Whatever you notice, just notice it and let it be. There's nothing to fix or change right now. Because right now, just letting yourself be in this moment, this practice of stopping doing, that's it. And you may have thoughts that pull you away and that's okay. That's totally normal. That's what happens lots of times in meditation. Just gently bring yourself back to something that's in the present. And maybe the sounds that you hear or the feeling of your feet on the floor or the feeling of your breath coming in and out. And if it supports you here, it might be nice to put a hand to your heart and just to acknowledge how hard you've been working, to acknowledge your good intention. You're here listening to this podcast with that beautiful, shining, beautiful intention to learn and to grow and to have good relationships with your children. And I invite you to honor that beautiful intention in yourself by letting yourself know I am enough. I am enough just as I am. And I invite you to repeat that to yourself a few times right here, I am enough. And then just let that go and notice how it feels. I wanna do one more. I invite you to say these words to yourself. May I love 
and accept myself exactly as I am. May I love and accept myself exactly as I am. And again, may I love and accept myself exactly as I am. You can say it to yourself one more time if you like. And then let that go and just notice what's arising for you in your body and mind. Notice with kindness and curiosity. And whatever you're feeling is normal because you're feeling it. And there's nothing to fix, nothing to change. And then for the last 20 seconds of this meditation, I want you to just give up all effort. Don't do anything at all. And finally, ending with a nice deep breath in. And a nice long, slow exhale. And just honoring yourself for practicing with me and Colleen today. That was wonderful. I feel good. Wow, that's a great place to stop today. So once again, if you enjoyed some of the things we've been talking about in this podcast, then you can buy Raising Good Humans Every Day, 50 Simple Ways to Press Pause, Stay Present, and Connect with Your Kids. So Hunter, how can people reach you and yeah, connect with um, you? My website, everything is at mindfulmamamentor.com. If you have a response to this podcast or the meditation, maybe you can tag me on Instagram at mindfulmamamentor. And yeah, you can find Raising Good Humans Every Day everywhere books are sold. It's coming out right as this podcast goes live, which is exciting. Yes. Well, Hunter, thank you so much for your time today and the gift of your books in the world, because we moms definitely need it. Thank you so much. And I'm so honored to be here with you today. I appreciate it. And I'm so happy that I'm able to take all these things I learned that helped me so much and share them with the world because we need these tools. So thank you so much, Colleen. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my award-winning, best-selling books, Dial Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, and my newest release book, Dial Up the Dream, Making Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You. You can find both of these books wherever books are sold. And you can find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com, and that has two L's and two E's. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.